Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking with Daisy Dowling, author of Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. It's going to be an amazing conversation, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about our experiences as working moms. Now, to be perfectly honest, which I hate that phrase, to tell you my story, which is, I think, similar to Stephanie's, I spent a lot of years not being a working out of the house mom. So I can't speak to those years where five kids were being driven to 18 million places, but I did do, I worked with two kids and then I worked with five kids, but some of them were already in high school. You know, I just want to qualify my personal experience as not really being like climbing the corporate ladder or having to do an hourly job where you couldn't get out of work. So I don't have those experiences. But what I will say is when I was working, I did not feel guilty. But I do know that many moms do feel guilty. And I don't know what that says about me. But I did have another thing that my kids will go to therapy for. I could tune them out. And this is why we are married. <laughs> well, if we were truly married, then no one would listen to them. Because I also can tune. I have a, Todd says I am gifted. And I'm not sure if it's a dig or if he's really it's both. I think it's both. Because, like, I really felt like it was a superpower. Same. Like, I, I <laughs> felt like things got resolved without me. Like, yes. I th- now, I, w- I wouldn't say that the in- it was intentional parenting. Like, today, there's Same. all this talk about, even on purpose, kind of finding something else to do so you're not available. I would say mine was more, I don't... I, just a function I, of just being, just functional? I think my kids would say it's negative and I think it's positive. Well, let me say that again. I know my kids would say it's negative and I felt like it was really positive that I could hear babies crying in my house. Now, if you had a baby crying, it would torture me. But as long as I knew my kids were safe and there was something going on, I could really tune it out. I don't know why. It was not like, well, today I'm going to learn how to tune out their volume, right? Yeah. So it's funny. So I, very similar, very similar story. And I do think, I think some of it just speaks to personality. Like Todd is very, um, very fastidious. He's got some sensory stuff. Like definitely if he was a kid going through school today, they would flag him for sensory issues and stuff. So it is very hard physically for him to ignore the siren, the beeping of the microwave, the beeping of the washing machine. I don't care. Just doesn't bother me. So I'll, I'm just going to hold up a picture. Can you? Well, that, this is a podcast, so you can't see this. But I'm drinking a mug where my second baby and my first baby are on the mug. Look how cute they are. That is so cute. I don't think I've ever seen those pictures. Those are adorable. The funny thing is that Jeremy made me a cup of coffee just now. And I want to just say how much it touched me when I said, man, I really want a cup of coffee, but I don't have time. And he said, can I make it for you? It's like, wow. Wow. I did wow. raise human beings, right? I, it's kind well, of like... It's just it's just so nice to have adult children home who look like they are fine human beings in this world. Anyway, so this the reason I'm showing this picture of this baby is I really actually remember now why I could tune out. He had what turned out to be a great adult characteristic, but as a toddler and a little bit older, he could follow me around for hours saying the same thing. And if you ask anyone who knew him then, they would know that it was I want apple juice. And he would grab onto my leg. He would. Oh my god! I mean, I had a friend stop by in the morning and call me later in the day, and she said, "Tell me it's not still the same thing in the background." And I was like, "Nope, it's been all day." 
So I think he actually gave me the gift. Like, I'm going to have to say when he complains about it, you trained me. Because there was no way to survive. Or, as Hannah said, or he broke you. <laughs> like, what you say about <laughs> Riverside? I think he trained me because mm-hmm. there was no way to survive. Like, yes. you know, otherwise I was going to hurt him. So I had to, I had to, like, literally, like, build something around me that was impenetrable with that, <laughs> that, that voice going on. Someone just recently told me that I said to her, every time I saw her, are you still working? And it pissed her off so much. And this is like many, many years later. But what happened is, you know, I, I went to law school. I had my oldest daughter in law school. I start working after law school. I'm not conflicted at all. I'm working part-time, by the way. I had a really glorious arrangement. Wait, and you just have Rebecca at this time. And I have one kid. Yeah. I have my next kid, and I start to interview people because it doesn't make sense to take her to the beloved house I took her to because there's so many kids there, and it's twice the price and whatever. And so I start interviewing people, and I'm like, I'm going to leave these two babies in my house with someone I've never met until this day. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And also... There was this huge conflict because I never saw myself as being a a mom who didn't leave the house every day. And so it was really a big conflict for me. And that conflict played out in needing every other mother who chose to stay working to leave their job. (laughs) So it's like, I'm sure there are other enemies like hanging out out there who were like, you did not leave me alone. But it was like, I needed the comfort of knowing that my decision was everyone's good decision it is really interesting. I mean, I I, I I just said this to a friend the other night. I'm like, oh, don't you wish you had the film of that <laughs> where you could go back in your life and be like, oh, what did that look like? And what did this look like? And I and I think it is, and you know, you're you're gonna hear this with Daisy, you know, this idea of like you said, like guilt. I didn't have the guilt either. For me, it was more, it wasn't guilt. It was more feeling like whatever I was doing, and you and I have talked about this in the context of our business, where I'm like, I'm not doing any of it well. Like, wow, like today I sucked at that and I I sucked at work. I sucked at being a mom. I sucked at being a, a wife. I sucked at being a daughter, right? I feel like that's more my struggle even to today where, and, and I've heard a lot of experts talk about this and like, you know, you can't evaluate. It'd be like evaluating our business on any given day. Like, does everything go great or everything go terrible on one day? Well, usually not, but <laughs> where you have to look at it like it's over just a period like of time. It's it just like college admissions. It is like college. Yeah. It's just like college admissions. There's not one single thing that's going to get you in or rejected. Like, you know. Yeah. And it's such a, it, and maybe this is a female thing to sit, like to start evaluating yourself. Like, why do I have to evaluate myself? Like, yeah, today I'm a crappy mom. Like, why do I have to go there? Why can't it just be like, eh, that was a moment, you know? But I, and maybe it's just a, it's probably my DNA where I'm just hard on myself. So I start looking, well, how did I do in this aspect of my life? And how did I do in this aspect of my life? I'm the only one grading myself there. Like I can let go of that. I mean, I have the ability to, I can't, <laughs> but I have the ability to. I'm the only one, right? No one else can release me from it. I think that we are all just getting up every day and saying like, we're going to do our best. And yeah. I, you know, while I hate that phrase, I think, you know, in truth as mothers, who doesn't want to raise great kids? Like, you know, it's, but we don't, we don't know what that formula is. We're always trying to home in on that formula. Nice. Nice. Um, Okay. So this is what I want to say to working mothers. There was a stretch of time where I was available. And what I could say is that my kids would say, can you pick me up at three Oh five? 
And at 3.04, I was getting a text going, where are you? At 3.05, I was getting all caps, like, oh my God, you're not here. Why aren't you here? 3.06, like pissed, pissed, pissed. And there was this expectation that I was just waiting to service them. And what I saw with kids whose moms were unavailable, I saw it over and over again in the pickup line at school. That mom would come for the one day where she was available and could, and that is without any judgment. I'm just saying, like, it was not a daily thing. Those kids were so grateful. They'd be jumping up and down and going, my mom picked me up. I don't have to take the bus today. Oh, my God, mom, I love you. And my kid is literally screaming because I am one minute late. Yeah, same. It is so true. Or they had to, I, it's so funny. I would start getting texts from Zach. He'd be at the high school. He's in ninth grade. He's not driving or whatever. Like, can you, you know, can you pick me up or can I have a ride? You know, like, and I can hear his voice, like his prepubescent, right? Can I have a ride? And I'd be like, oh, I'm on a work call or I'm wrapping up a work call. And if they had to take the 10 minutes to figure it out, guess who appeared in the door 10 or 15 minutes later? So he either found a ride, he took the rapid, he walked to a friend's house. I eventually got like. And I even, I can admit this now, because he won't be listening, is that there were days where I was like, oh, wrapping up a meeting. I, I remember those days, meeting. actually. Do you remember? I do remember those. <laughs> like, I'm not wrapping up a meeting. Because you know what? Who doesn't want to take the easy way out and go to the person who's always going to say yes? And I agree with you, Sue. I think there is something who I think was in our, um, last night, our college thing about, we were talking about, it just flew through my head about failure, like what did he say? I don't know why. I was he wanted to, to ask parents to answer three questions, to answer yes. a question on their kid's application. Yeah. What are the three things you let your kids fail at? And the yeah. room got really silent. And his assessment was that parents couldn't think of what they would write. But my assessment is that I didn't want homework when my kids were applying to college. <laughs> that is so true. No. And I think I, I hope it's funny, you know, you're raising, I think it's harder for women. You're raising three daughters. I we could argue raised because they're all adults. I'm raising one about to head to college and- We don't have to argue. It is a past tense. <laughs> it is, it's true. It's it true. is in fact a past tense. And I think about, I hope that, I hope she'll go easy on herself. You know, I, I, I think about just women and how hard it's been for so many different reasons. And maybe it, it leads right back to the pandemic too, about having grace and- giving yourself some latitude. And I think that I would love to see just some of that linger. We could all use a little bit. We have a lot of feelings about working and not working. It is hard to get out of that cycle. And I think some of these issues are going to be discussed with Daisy Dowling. She really has the the definitive book on work life and, and how what she sees in her practice in terms of parents coming in and struggling. And somewhere in this story, you're going to find yourself, even if what you're doing is working in the house, because the the challenge of finding time for yourself is no different than if you're working out of the house. Up next is our conversation with Daisy Dowling. We can't wait for you to join us. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world. 
all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Daisy Dowling is the author of Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. She is also the founder and CEO of Work Parent, a leading provider of advice and solutions to working parents and to the organizations that employ them. She is the author of 16 articles in Harvard Business Review magazine and serves as series editor of Harvard Business Review's Working Parents collection of books. In addition, she has written on leadership, and work-life topics in the New York Times, Washington Post, Journal of Applied Corporate Finance, and Elle Magazine. Thanks so much for being here with us, Daisy. So Daisy, why did you write the book now? And also, we're curious, how much was written prior to the start of COVID? So that's a terrific question because COVID has changed so much for all working parents. So the brief and really direct answer to your question, why did I do this now, is because I wrote it because I really needed to read it now. So I became a parent um, nine years ago, and I was also in the midst of a professional change at that time. And I began looking around for advice, different resources that I could get. I remember bundling my daughter into her stroller and pushing her down to Barnes and Noble and asking them where the what to expect when you're expecting for working parents was. And I, I couldn't really find anything that was substantive, that was helpful, that was non-judgmental, that was out there. And over the course of the next several years, as I went further into parenthood, things became, even if I had a little bit of working parent experience, things became more complex. My daughter's a preteen now. We haven't quite entered the teenage years, but as she entered school, as we had two children, as you know, just as life sort of unfolded, as my own career evolved, I couldn't find some of that really practical, tactical advice that understood where I was in terms of my working parent journey and would help back me up. And as an executive coach who worked with so many committed, driven, really ambitious, wonderful professionals, helping them figure out how to get where they wanted to go career-wise, I realized that they were all grappling with the same problem. So I decided to write this book, and I began about two years ago working on it full-time. I decided to write this book because at this juncture of my life, in my executive coaching practice, and just for other working parents, I felt like we all needed this resource. I drafted a really solid, what I thought was solid, first draft, and I was supposed to submit it in April of 2020. It was about three quarters of the book. You know, there were still some spots that needed to be ironed out. But just as I was finishing that first draft, the pandemic hit with full force. It reached, you know, its, its absolute height, at least here in New York City then. And I had several more months in which to basically take another run at the manuscript and to, to redraft it based on a lot of the problems that people were experiencing, based on the way that we might approach working parenthood in the future, and basically to take the the new openness, the new problems, the new opportunities that we have into account. So researched and written heavily before pandemic, and then I did a, a great big refresh on it. So the, the final product is both pre and during the pandemic, and hopefully will help people after. So your story is so similar to ours, and I think to many women who do startups, there's a need that you have personally. And then there's, you know, you go searching for a solution and it's just not there. So this is such a great time for you to have decided to write this book. It's so pronounced right now, all the all the struggles. And your book is designed as a kind of from babyhood onwards, Guide to Working Parenthood. 
So our question, our audience is about raising teenagers. Does the advice change for working parents as the kids get older and gain more independence? It absolutely does. And the way I researched the book was by going out and talking to hundreds of different working parents, who were, some of whom were in my coaching practice, most of whom were not, and asking them about their lives, their stories, their experiences. And I really delved in on parents who had children who were, you know, who were older. They were further in their working parent journey. And I said to them, what's it like and what works? And what I found was that being a working parent of a teenager is not just being a working parent of a younger child plus several years. It's a distinct, unique problem that requires its own specific approaches. And that's what I tried to surface and to capture in the book. So what have you heard repeatedly from working parents of teens? I'm sure thematically there are things that repeat. Share some of those with us. So there's this really, really difficult convergence of different things going on, different challenges when you're a working parent of a teenager. The first is that you have developed a really great working parent operating system. Like you know how to manage your calendar and you know how to get things done at work or explain some of your parenting needs at work. So you you sort of have a good system in place. But all of a sudden, your relationship with your child changes. They're growing. They're moving into those wonderful but sometimes very difficult teenage years. You want to relate to them in a different way. They're gaining more independence. So that forces or at least prompts some, some questions and some changes to that system. The second thing is that all of a sudden you're really focusing on how do I get this person who means more than anything else in the world to me ready for their own career, ready for their own adulthood. It's not just how do I physically take care of them, how do I make sure they flourish in school, but how am I creating a runway for them to do this, to do what I'm doing one day, and at least to, you know, to sort of come out of the nest, to continue with their education, to go on to get a job, whatever it is. So that's an additional new pressure. At the same time, your career is probably reaching its height. You've maybe changed jobs a few times, had a few promotions, taken on more responsibility, you're leading a larger team than maybe when the kids were small, or you just feel a lot of pressure to work many hours because you're thinking now not just about providing for your child, but also maybe paying off the house, saving more actively for retirement. So all those things come together and they cause a really big challenge. At the same time- Don't forget menopause for there, women. <laughs> there's, there's that too. There's menopause There's and there's elder care, right? Then all of a sudden when your kids are teens, you may be thinking about caregiving in another direction also. And at the same time, so there's this big challenge. What I hear from so many parents, particularly throughout the pandemic, work parents of teenagers is- this sort of constant disclaimer that, oh, but I know other people have it harder. It's almost like we all feel as if when we have teenagers and we're working, that somehow we should either have it figured out or we should just be kind of more sympathetic or realize that it's much, much harder when you have younger kids. In a way it is, but in a way it isn't. And when you're walking around with a challenge that you're facing and you also feel like you have to kind of put some pressure on yourself, like, well, this shouldn't be so hard. I should know how to approach this. Other people have it harder. That just amps up the pressure even further. 
I just want to say that one of the things you mentioned never entered into my parenting. So I'm now feeling a little badly about your advice. I never, ever thought about what they were going to be when they grew up. Stephanie, did you ever think about that? Like in high school? Never thought about that one. (laughs) Were we supposed to? Crap. (laughs) Okay. I got to (laughs) go. We're done. We've all got work to do. (laughs) Well, mine are all gone. They're all out of the house. So whatever, whatever I didn't do. We're done. Well, they seem to have flourished and flown out of the nest. So I, I would suggest you, you probably did exactly what you needed to. <laughs> you do share small changes that parents can make that might make the path a little smoother for everybody. I'd love to hear some of those strategies, but my very favorite, which I'm sure you get over and over again, is the idea of a done list. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Every single working parent, and particularly when you enter those incredibly busy, pressured teenage years, feels like your to-do list is, you know, as long as your arm. It just goes on and on and on. There's so much on it, and you could work 24-7 and never make a dent in it because it just keeps refilling. That's a really demotivating place to be. Like, you're on the treadmill. There's You can't jump off. There's no off switch. It'll never slow down. And it's normal to feel ground down and tired and a little demotivated. The way to immediately upend that, just for yourself, so this is a self-hack, is to start keeping a done list as well as a to-do list. So either on Post-it notes around your computer, or I like to keep mine on the in the notes section on my iPhone so I can look at it on the go. Start keeping a list of all the things you've done over the course of a day or a week, big and small. It can be you had a great meeting with somebody at work who it's really hard to have a great meeting with or you finished a project on time and under budget, or you threw a load of laundry in, or you had you know, a family dinner with your two teenagers, whatever it is, throw it on there, or you, you got some exercise for yourself, throw it on there. And then when your energy is an ebb, when you're feeling a little bit ground down and you need that lift, you need to recenter yourself, pull that list out and read over it. And you'll be amazed at the incredible number of things that you are doing and accomplishing every single day. And it'll re-anchor you back in that feeling of accomplishment and momentum. And it'll remind you of how wonderful this, the depth and totality of your commitment professionally and also as a mom or dad is. And that's a much more powerful place. I think it makes no difference whether this is about parenting or it's about life. Like that done list is going to change everything for me. So thank you so much. I just love that idea. It reminds me of when I used to make a list and then I would put on, I'm like, oh, I kind of did that already. And I'd put it on there and then I'd scratch it off. <laughs> yeah, just to feel a sense of accomplishment. Just No, it's true. It's such a little boost. So those are the things we can do to make ourselves feel better. What about, let's, let's look at this the other way. What are some of the common pitfalls and mistakes that um, working parents make with their teens? What are some of those that we can avoid that you just see time and time again? So what I heard from working parents of teens was that it's really easy to fall into the trap, first of all, of bringing just a little bit too much of your work self home. So at, by this point, you know, with a teenager, you've been in the workforce for some time and you're really used to doing well and to kind of knowing what it takes to, you know, to perform at work. But when you bring that home, when you let sort of there be too much of a porous boundary, if you, if you show up as your work self with your teenager it's going to sit the wrong way and you're going to find yourself having a lot of friction. So if you're around the dinner table and you start asking each of your kids for sort of a report out of their day, almost like you're in a team meeting, 
or you start talking about weekend plans and using words like efficient and capability or if you and these things sound silly but a lot of people find themselves in this trap or if you're talking to your child about a speech I'm laughing cuz it's familiar <laughs> I'm not laughing cuz I'm <laughs> questioning it <laughs> if you find yourself talking to your child about kind of a speed bump they're encountering like their grades are down on a certain subject or whatever and you start kind of going into that mode that you're giving somebody a performance review. Well, what's your action plan for turning your grades around and so forth? It puts you in opposition. And a 15-year-old, even like a really mature one, is not going to, they're just not going to like it. It's not going to work. So it's really important. You can bring some of your workplace efficiencies in terms of how your household operates, like your family calendar and, you know, kind of chores and who does what that that's great to be sort of work you. But in terms of your actual relationship, you want to stay away from that. That's the first thing you want to be more of a mentor or a colleague, not a boss, a manager, a leader when you're thinking about your kid. And then the second thing is not bringing enough of your parenting self to work. So a lot of working parents of teens tell me that they feel sort of unseen. It's like you, you know, you go into work and maybe there's an employee resource group or a parents network at work, but it's all parents of babies or toddlers. And they're all swapping notes and, you know, talking about the the very real challenges that they're facing. But there may not be that connectivity with other working parents of teenagers, with, you know, with your colleagues where you work. And sometimes getting ahead of some of the work-life friction that you have, like when you have to dedicate some time to your family, that can feel a little bit awkward if your child is 16 to go to your boss and say, I need this time off, or I'm not going to be able to make that meeting. And people tend to sort of tamp it down, try and work around it, pretend like, no, no, I've got this. I guess it's two directions. It's think about being, you know, not so professional at home, but also think about being more of a parent at work. So that's a perfect segue to the next question, which is you talk about this preemptive approach at work where you're kind of bringing your home into the workspace. So, I mean, we all kind of hate this word right now after COVID, but taking a little bit of a pivot on that idea, do you think that same approach could work with our kids in reverse? My kids were a little self-centered as adolescents. So is there a space to be able to say to your kids, I have a really big project at work this week. I'm going to need you guys to step it up. Do you think it works in the reverse? I do. And what I was surprised at the consistency amongst working parents of teenagers who reported feeling sort of together or, you know, on it, satisfied in their, you know, in how they combined career and kids, how it was a common practice in those relationships, in those families to have a weekly look forward over the calendar, like sort of a, a family meeting. It didn't have to be so formal, but where each person in the family could say, oh, wait, I have to be at school early on Thursday because I have band practice. Wait, you know, as mom or as dad, I have a really big deadline Thursday. We're, I'm not going to be able to cook dinner. We're going to have to order in or you kids are going to have to, you know, microwave something for yourself. Where everybody could play forward, where the stress points were, and feel like they were being backed up by the other. It was just a great technique. It doesn't have to take a very long time. And the other thing that's characteristic of families that use this kind of weekly play forward technique and where they do preempt parents and kids both, so in two directions. But the other thing that they do is use that time to sort of give some high fives and some shout outs to what worked. So is your kid, is your 15 year old going to want to be like 
in giving mode all the time because you have a deadline? Probably not. But if each week you can say, you know what, it was re- I really appreciated it last week. You, the fact that you know you made dinner for your younger brother that allowed me to get the you know to get the document done. And then because I had finished, we could spend the weekend together. If you can give that positive reinforcement again, it gives people a sense of momentum. So I'm a big believer in getting ahead both, you know, with what you have going on work-wise as well as what your kids have. So we didn't do the, like, what they're going to be when they grow up, but we did do the Sunday night look ahead. <laughs> and it really did help. Like, we would be sitting around the table, I remember, and just saying, okay, what, what does every, you know, let's put it on the table. What does everybody have this week? And it definitely, at least everybody was together and we could hear what was going on with it, you know, what was going on with everyone and where, where people were kind of available and where they just weren't going to be available. So no, I love that. And I, I agree. I, I think I think it's a great strategy. So one of the things you talk about in the book is about speaking to the kids like they are underperforming employees, which, which made me laugh. And, you know, it's kind of funny, but not funny. You know, this idea that maybe they didn't meet the deadline, they were supposed to get something done or the chore list or the, you know, there's so many things. How do we avoid that when we are, and you referenced this earlier, right? Where the language of work and bringing that home, how do, how do we stay away from that? One thing that I'm a huge fan of as a coach and, and also, you know, in, as a working parent expert is the power of open-ended questions. So if you come in and you give your kid really directive feedback, like you were late on this and you need to be better next time, and you start drilling down and sort of feeding them the answers and telling them how they should act or behave or think or feel like, here's how you fix, you know, your argument with your best friend, they're going to react negatively to that. What they want is your help and support and your guidance to know that you're there. So maybe they have really goofed up, but instead of kind of pointing out directly the way that they, you think that they should fix things, which is what you might do in more of a performance review, you know, workplace sort of, you have to turn this around type of conversation at work instead to say, how can I help? Or what do you need from me next time in order to make the deadline work? That doesn't mean that you're extending yourself or saying that I'll do this for you. It's just turning some of the responsibility back on your child, but also in a non-judgmental way. Okay, it didn't work this time. How are we going to fix this? And what do you need from me? What do you want me to know that I don't know? Yeah, we talk about being curious all the time. That comes up probably in every discussion we have about raising teenagers. It is so hard for working moms in particular. They're already feeling guilty. They, you know, there's so much that plays into our psyche. How do we keep it a priority, this self-care piece? One thing I encourage you to do is flip it around. So the next time that you start feeling guilty, like the guilt just begins to surge up, I want you to pretend that you are your own manager, like kind of put yourself into the third person, pretend you're somebody else. You're your own manager and you feel guilty about, you know, going outside to get some exercise when there's so much work to do and your kids really need you. Well, instead of just saying I'm guilty, I want you to pretend that you're that boss who comes in and says, going outside for 20 minutes to exercise or get fresh air. We don't allow that in this organization. You have to either be working incessantly on the projects that I give you or completing housework or completely dedicated to your child. It's unacceptable to take a vacation day. You can't even, you know, put down your iPhone for 15 minutes. We don't allow that here. It sounds a little goofy when you do it, when you do this exercise. But what you'll realize is that you're being harder on yourself than absolutely anybody in the world would be. And if any boss ever talked to you in that way, in that harsh way, held you to accounts like that, 
you'd be looking for another job right away and rightfully so. So that's the first thing is just sort of depersonalize it. Another technique that's great, particularly for parents of teenagers, is to play it forward. So if you think now, gee, I don't want to get outside to make a phone call to a friend and get some exercise, whatever that thing, whatever that self-care item is, if you think I shouldn't do that because I need to be with the kids, I need to be working, well, let's think back to the example that you're setting for your child, for your son or your daughter. If they see you frazzled, strained, exhausted, never taking care of yourself, when they go forward and, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, they're working parents, is that the model that you want them to have? Or do you want them to have the model of the really hardworking mom or dad who took good care of them and also took just enough time for themselves that they could keep on keeping on as a parent as a, and as a professional and happily so over time? I think you'd much rather have the second. So think about that long term and it'll help you make some of those small decisions without quite so much strain. So some good things happened during COVID, especially as it relates to work and the work environment and bringing home to work and work to home and having kids run through interviews with professional broadcasters. Like it did change the world for us. So what are you hoping carries over once we're out of this whole pandemic situation? So COVID let the genie out of the bottle, just as you say, in terms of working parenthood, it exposed it. There's no more ignoring this challenge, this problem. So there are a couple of practical things that I think will endure after the pandemic. I mean, after 15 months of so many people doing remote work, I think it's going to be really hard after that like proof of concept after this sort of test period that we've had, where everybody has been working really hard, everybody has continued producing and performing. I think it's going to be hard for organizations to say, no, 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 we don't believe in flex work or remote work, right? So I think there's a really important structural change that's not happened quite yet because we haven't found the new normal, but I think that new normal will be characterized by by more openness. The thing that I really hope just fingers crossed that we can get there. The thing that I hope working parents take in with them to the new normal, whatever that looks like, is the ability to draw more boundaries. A lot of people talk about work-life integration, like that's kind of like the holy grail of of combining kids and career and when you have too much to do, work-life integration. It's a great phrase. But throughout the pandemic and even pre-pandemic, given modern technology, given everything, you know, ways we can stay connected to home and the office, we've really integrated our lives to the point where the boundaries between them have been blurred. And that's really crushing us. Think about a typical day during the pandemic. You probably, you know, from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to sleep, you felt like you had to be on the kids, on top of what was going on at work all the time, all the time. That's exhausting. So I hope, particularly for parents of teens, that we all get a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more firm in being able to say, you know what? I have worked X number of hours where I've come off shift. Now it's time for me to park work and work concerns as best as I'm able for the 45 minutes that I'll have with my son or daughter, with my kids, between when they finish their homework and when they go to bed. And I'm going to be full on focused on them, not multitasking, not checking messages or with your kids to say, yeah, I know you've got homework and you know I've been asking you questions about your grades and geometry but we're going to draw a boundary now and we're just going to have some connective happy time where we're doing an activity together where I'm not asking you about your life, but where we're just having some fun. Those boundaries are essential. And I, I hope we find new ways to start drawing them and to keep them as we go forward. 
Daisy, we're going to end our time with you with the question that we ask all of our guests. And that is, what is the biggest myth about parenting teens? That your teen's behavior day in, day out is not a performance review on you. So many of the working parents of teens I spoke to would talk about a child's grade, a child's misbehavior, a child's breaking curfew, a stumble, some sort of challenge they had had, personal, academic, whatever. And they would say, is this because I'm working so hard or is it because of the hours I work or maybe I should be there more or if I had flex time, they would start beating themselves up about regular, normal, completely expected teen behavior somehow being like an editorial on how able they were to combine kids and career. And it's not. Every teen, as you guys know better than anyone, every teen goes through difficult patches And the fact that you are working while also parenting a teen, it does not mean that those difficult patches somehow are like a negative piece of feedback. So try and get out of that habit of seeing your child's activities or attitudes or lack of desire to talk to you tonight in that way. You're working, you're parenting, you're doing two really important things for yourself and you need to take confidence in that. That's excellent. Daisy Dowling, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.